Hi, Val here, and this is my podcast, The Kalahari Diaries. I live in one of Africa's most remote wilderness areas. Nature and wildlife is my biggest passion. I hand-raced Serga the lioness and walked the Kalahari to join her on her hunts. My work is on tourism and nature conservation. For fun, but also for wildlife monitoring, I fly anything that gets me into the air. I live in an old caravan. The next supermarket is a two and a half hour drive away on sandy and bumpy roads. There is no cell reception anywhere nearby and the only comms is an extremely slow, extremely expensive satellite internet connection. I am Valentin Grüner and this is my podcast The Kalahari Diaries. Hi, this is The Kalahari Diaries again and you're listening to episode 7 of our podcast. This time I would like to speak about how Serga moved from her old home in the Kalahari to the new home in the Kalahari, which was about 850 kilometers away. I think to start off with, first I should maybe mention that I'm actually not in my normal location in the middle of the bush in my little office container at the moment. I'm actually sitting in Johannesburg or Pretoria and I'm currently waiting for paperwork to be finalized here in South Africa so that, that I can bring a small bush aircraft back to our home. And yeah, so it's a bit of a different setting for my podcast and there might be a bit of outside noise, but I have a nice sort of quiet area where I'm staying here at the moment. So we'll just try it this way because I don't think I will make it back in time to record the podcast at home. So yeah, this time is going to be about Serga's big move to the new home. And I think to start the whole thing off with, we should maybe just talk about why we actually had to move Serga. To make that short, I would say the main thing is that when I raised Serga, I, I always walked with her. I never wanted her to be used to people, to not even a tent, to nothing. I wanted her to just be a line, obviously with the difference that I'm around, that I had to feed her when she was small. But the main idea was to let her grow up in the bush, in the environment that a lion belongs and without having to have it run around furniture or be in a vehicle, anything like that. I just wanted her to have the things surrounding her that lions usually would have when they grow up in Africa. And the big difference being was obviously the whole time that I'm around for her. So yeah, Suga spent all this time outside and I always walked with her. I spent many, many nights, I think more than a year, sleeping outside in the bush with Suga, sometimes in a little enclosure, sometimes outside the enclosure, somewhere in the bush. And we were always out walking around, taking her for walks. In the beginning, those walks were pretty much daily because she was so small that she would be tired after an hour or two hours of walking. Later on, the walks got longer and started taking the entire day. Then we sort of had to tune down the walking frequency a little and started going out sort of once or twice a week. But Sergas always had that opportunity to be outside and she started hunting. When she got older, the government in Botswana told us that actually it's not really legal for Sergas just to run around outside, although the area is a private-owned um, game reserve, but Serga is not really supposed to run around there as a lion because the game reserve is not certified for lions to be released in that area. The papers that were actually in place, they were for the lions to be kept in a facility where they then can be relocated by the government into other areas. But for us to walk around with a tame animal in that area poses a risk to people who could potentially be there and also Aside from me saying that Serga would never leave me, I never had a guarantee that she wouldn't just run off because Serga had never had a, a you know a lead on her or a chain or anything like that. She's just free to do whatever she wants when we're outside. And unfortunately, we had to then stop walking Serga. 
So the plan from then on was to create a private area where Sugar can live like a free line because obviously she will never really go outside, just live in the national park because there are people, there are cattle posts nearby and Sugar would pose a massive threat to humans because she's not quite friendly with, with people in general. Yeah, having a lion like that walk around would be dangerous. It would definitely not create any good reputation for lions if there were any incidents to happen, aside from the fact that we obviously would never want that to happen for the people or for Sergei, because the only outcome for her would be that she would have to be put down if there is any bad accidents happening. We had this dream for a long time to create this big area where Sergei can live like a free lion, but in a secure environment. And... We were looking for a place where that is possible and where we can get that done. And we actually got a connection to a person who bought up quite a bit of, of land in the southwestern part of Botswana, right next to one of our major national parks. That area was basically available. We were lucky to, to get a deal on this land, to actually get security on this land for us so that we know we, we can stay there. Nobody can get us off this area. And we can try to invest into this area to get this going for Surga and to move our entire operation with our little guest operation and the whole thing that we were planning to do. Obviously, permits are needed and all kinds of things to move a line through the country and as well to move our operation with our guests into this new location. And we made a plan with our government. We got paperwork in place and we started planning everything to make this whole move possible. And it was quite a big operation. So the plan was that we would first move the guests that are actually already with us at this stage and then have the new guests arrive instead of to the old area at the new one, which was a big logistical sort of nightmare because we are in either location in very, very remote areas in Africa, which have no airports exactly near them. All the next airports are a few hundred kilometers away and none of these are major airports in Africa. So it's quite hard to get there. And it was, it was difficult organizing the whole thing. We tried our best to make that all work so that our guests would move basically onto the, the new area and just camp there with a very basic mobile safari setup and that we would then in the for sort of following days bring Serga to this area so that everybody that's a new arrival obviously gets to meet Serga and see her and that the people who's already been at the old location will sort of be part of the, the whole moving procedure and wait at the new area for us. And that was all planned and put into place. So we started moving our guests. And unfortunately, the entire plan got very, very sort of abruptly interrupted by the fact that in the administration of Botswana, somehow people all of a sudden were not exactly happy with this idea anymore. And unfortunately, these things happen and we can't really influence them. This is just something that as a business here, we then have to deal with the outcome of this. But the decision was that the uh, permits that we had were basically cancelled and people said they want to look through this better before they issue all our licenses. We had to shut down everything. So unfortunately, at this stage, we had to shut down the guests, which was um, a bit of a nightmare for the people that were visiting at that time, as well as for us, because we were not allowed to bring people into our new area. So we had to find accommodation for them somewhere nearby. And then specifically, the people only arriving then basically only got to sit in a place that was closer to a tar road, still a bit in a, you know, sort of wild area, but it wasn't a game reserve or anything like that. They never got to meet Serga because Serga's permits got cancelled as well, which was a major sort of hiccup in our plan. 
the main thing now was that we somehow had to keep Suga fed and happy at the old location, 850 kilometers away. Well, we had to somehow take care of the guests that had arrived. And, you know, the few weeks that they had booked, we needed to somehow make sure that at least we make the best of that time while the people are here. And that meant that I had to be with the guests for that time. Luckily, we had some friends and some of our staff who stayed behind to make sure Suga is fed and that she's safe and that everything is, is going all right there. Yeah, luckily, this is all quite a few years ago now. And that was a major blow to the whole idea and the business and everything. But it's things we can't change. They just happen and we have to somehow deal with it. Once we had the guest operation completely shut down, we just focused on trying to make the permits for Surga possible. I wasn't even worried about the, the business or anything like that or what we're going to do. The idea was just now that we say, okay, we're going to use the time just to rebuild completely on the on the new place, not having to run our guests. And even though it's kind of like a working guest program, people that actually want to come and learn and help us, it's still a major effort having to make sure that everybody has food, having to make sure that everybody has accommodation, having to make sure that everybody has transportation from and to the area and so on. So it becomes a major operation that you're actually very, very occupied with and maybe in a in a certain way the shutdown actually gave us an opportunity to say okay let's just focus entirely on on building our new structures on making it comfortable on making it nice which will ultimately make our business work much easier in the end once we actually open up again the permits for Surga was something that I've worried about much more because having Surga in the old location meant that I wasn't able to start moving our things away from there because I did not want to take anything to the new area until I knew Suga could come. And we had set up Suga's new enclosure, which is a relatively large thing. It's like the size of a soccer field. And we had started with the fence work already on the 2000 hectare area on Suga's large, large area that she could later move into. So everything for her was ready. Uh, and well, we initially did have the paperwork also to move her in there. Everything had gotten approved by the main authorities and then by the local department which came to inspect the facility that we actually built for her but yeah unfortunately all of that got turned around and we had to start figuring out how to make that work luckily we had a few of our staff and some good friends who actually were willing to stay at the old location with nothing much happening there just to sit there we would put some food and drinks in the fridge for them and they could sit there make sure there's enough food for Suga and once a day throw some meat into her enclosure and then obviously uh, make sure the water is full and things like that and I would show up there whenever I had time but during this time with no permits and all of this it's not a good idea to sit in the middle of the bush where we don't really have a phone connection or not really as uh, understatement there's not even any cell network so it's a very remote area and our slow internet connection is just not really enough to actually get anything going and now the idea was that we have to get these permits sorted at the same time prepare things a little bit better for Serga and see what else we can do that makes sense so I was busy running around on the phone from town to town and department to department trying to get the permits organized eventually with a lot of help from people we know and people that we met along the way and everybody putting a bit of effort in. We finally got the permits. All the authorities were happy. We could start planning Sergas move again. Yeah, so receiving the permits for a second time now was actually many, many months after we got them the first time. And it was a huge relief for us because this time we also got the go-ahead for the actual transport, which means the whole thing was actually happening. So we got the vehicle ready. One of our land cruisers I converted a little bit into a place where we can 
fit a transport crate with Serga onto the back and at the same time have a frame surrounding the whole thing that we could sh cover with shade net so that Serga is a little bit protected from the sun and a bit from the wind, but also at the same time protected from the eyes from people outside. You don't want everybody that's driving around on the road to see that there's a line on the back that'll just cause a lot of a lot of people coming to want to look and everything and it just stress Serga additionally on the transport, which obviously will be a big stress for for her because she's never been in a vehicle and is not used to anything like that and we had to drive 850 kilometers with her of which the first sort of 70 kilometers were on a bumpy sand track and then the last 60 to 70 kilometers again were on a very sandy duny sort of road total driving time for this was something we weren't exactly sure of at this time because we didn't know how fast travel will be if Serga would be all right along the way and we just made sure that our vehicle is prepared as good as possible. We had another friend drive along with us who was also part of our business at that time. Actually, he took one of his own vehicles to pull a big trailer, which was full of all the solar power equipment that we had at the, the old camp. Because the only thing that was important to move with as Serga goes along was our electricity, which comes from the sun. So it's quite a big setup, solar panels, batteries and the whole thing, which had to be taken down basically the day we moved Serga and packed into a trailer. And the reason for that is because our power runs the freezer, which keeps Serga's food frozen. So we had to set that up at the new place first thing, and we couldn't take it down because Serga was still at the old place and needed her food there. It was quite an operation. On top of that, the people who filmed Saving Serga actually came along with cameras to film this moves just to have it on record that that in case it's ever needed later on. So there was another vehicle and obviously we needed our vet to be present. So he had to come from about 350 kilometers away just to come and be at the first location where everything starts. And that's, yeah, that was sort of the plan to start moving Serga. Now we weren't sure entirely about the weather and the vet was obviously in charge of actually making the call. What time do we drive depending on the heat and things like that. This whole actual move, as far as I remember, happened sort of towards the end of November in 2017. This is a very, very hot time of Botswana. So due to the heat, everything had to be planned properly. If it would have been a cool day with lots of cloud cover and a bit of rain, we could have started driving in the daytime. If it would have been just a hot day, then obviously we could not drive. And the night times, luckily, in the Kalahari Desert are usually quite cool. So the night's always an option to drive. But at the same time, driving at night here means you're on a long, long road through the desert, which is full of livestock. And especially if there was a rain shower, livestock loves sitting on the road to lick off the water. Or if it's just cold at night and the roads are still warm from the daytime, the animals love sleeping on the warm tarmac and stuff like that. So it's it's usually not recommendable to drive at night here, but sometimes you just don't have options. Like, for instance, in this scenario, because it was way too hot. So although the vet arrived in the morning, everything was ready. The wildlife department was present. The film people were there. Everything was ready to, to get Serga moving. We decided to wait until the late afternoon before we get onto the road, simply because of the heat and the possibility that Serga would have been stressed and overheated in the back of this vehicle. We waited for the day, kept on checking the vehicles, making sure everything is working and just preparing for this long drive. No, Nobody had really slept much the night before because it was exciting. Now we were up the whole day and everybody knew we we're going to be driving the whole night until the next morning. So it was a big adventure, a lot of people involved. I'm just so thankful for the vet and everybody else who came along to make this all happen. We had to dart Serga to put her into into her box 
darting Sirga simply means she gets shot at with a dart gun and the needle that's attached to the dart basically injects the drugs. It'll make her sleep. Now, this only happened once before when Sirga was sick and the vet had to come to look at her. And this is now was going to be the second time. We had to dart her and it's something that I absolutely hate because... I don't know, to me it feels a little bit like Sirga thinks she may be dying. At the same time, there are all kinds of drugs in there. She's basically very high on ketamine when that happens. And, well, nobody really knows how they feel at that moment, I guess. But it's still something horrible that you have to do. Anyway, so Sirga had to get darted. Everything went perfectly well. She fell asleep nicely. Everything was good. We moved her into a box on a nice blanket and made her nice and comfortable. And then she gets an injection to slowly wake up again. Basically, as soon as the vet was happy with all her vitals, I was on the road with Serga in the back of the car just to make sure that we get going as soon as possible. And Serga started slowly waking up just as we started driving. Obviously, she was quite confused, but also very tired from this whole thing. So she just lifted the head a little bit and we were driving along this bumpy road. We're trying to go very slowly and carefully so that Serga is not bumping around too much. And she seemed quite all right. There was no problems at all in the beginning. She was just looking up, having a bit of a look around. She was still too weak from the drugs to actually stand up or sit up even. But she was alive. She was looking very, very okay. And everything was good. We stopped all the time. And luckily, that first part of the road on the first 70 kilometers to the tar road actually has 16 little cattle gates because it goes through all kinds of different ranches. So we had to stop 16 times in any case to open and close the gates. So that was each time a good opportunity to check on Serga, make sure she's okay, look at her, offer her a little bit of water. And that's how the first bit of the drive went. Once we hit the tar road, it started getting dark. The other vehicles were all around and we basically just got on the road and started driving. We never went far. I think most of the drive, we went somewhere between 60, 70, maybe 80 kilometers an hour, just cruising along the long tar road into the night. Suga seemed pretty okay the whole time. She was now much more awake, but she had also gotten drugs to keep her sort of relaxed quite a bit longer. So she wasn't as awake as she would be in a normal scenario, but she was very aware of everything that was happening around her. She could now sit up completely and have a good look around herself and, and see a little bit what's going on outside. But because it was getting dark, I don't think she was actually noticing too much. And a lot of the time she would actually just lie down. The one time where she really, really woke up though was when we got to about something that's around halfway, a town called Kang. And this was a place where we had to fill up the vehicle. So we pulled in to Kang. The vet had actually gone ahead at this stage to inform the filling station that we will be coming with a line on the back so that the people are a little bit prepared. Now, when we arrived, there was a few of the guys standing there. It's the middle of the night, obviously, so it's not many people working at the filling station. And there's all these neon-colored lights and things like that from the filling station around which... I think really confused Serga a bit because she'd never seen that. She sat up and looked up at, to, at these lights and it was it was quite amazing to watch. She just had these big eyes looking around at these weird, weird things that she obviously had never, ever seen before, before and never dreamt of. So that was quite a, a special moment for Serga. And I think at the same time, it was a very special moment for the a fuel station attendant who came to fill up the vehicle because I'm not sure if they really got the memo that there's actually a line on the back of the car. The guys were very okay though. They they did go very quiet. They didn't make much noise, just like we requested. But they were obviously quite frightened of the line on the back. But we managed to get our fuel and get back on the road and continue driving. <laughs> 
And we just kept on going and everything really went according to our plan. We didn't have any hiccups along the way. All the vehicles made it pretty much without problems. We we were just going along, going along nice and slowly. And Silga looked good the whole time through. When we got close to the village called Sabong, which is the closest village to us, it was starting to get a little bit light. And this is when Serga actually got a lot more active. She started standing up a lot. And although there was shade netting around the sides of the vehicle and also something over the top, Serga could still see over the roof of the land cruiser. If she would stand up, she would look right over the roof and could see in the front of the road. And as I mentioned before, there's a lot of livestock in Botswana standing all over near the tar roads or on the tar roads, things like donkeys, sheep, goats, and cows and horses. So Serga was looking and all the all of these things and yeah obviously i think her hunting instincts were getting quite active because there's so many things standing around that she could be chasing so that was maybe actually good entertainment for her and a bit of a good distraction from just sitting on the on the moving vehicle yeah we just went along like that we had to fill up again in sabong to make sure we have enough fuel to get up on the farms because from that last town it's another 110 sort of 120 kilometers that was actually the more interesting part of the drive which got us a little bit worried in the end after turning off the tar road the last sort of 70 kilometers of drive goes just on very very sandy roads again and the best road to actually get up to our area is through the neighboring ranch once we got to the houses and developments on this neighboring ranch, we used that chance to stop quickly and just check on Serga again to make sure everything is still okay and she's happy, although we had a good eye on her the whole time anyways, but just to check off her water and let the people know that we're on the way up. The vet was right behind us. Everybody arrived there together. What had actually happened is that the dog that the people there had got very sick, the dog that lived at their house and they love this dog a lot. Obviously, it's their pet. And the dog was basically just lying there and couldn't hold its urine and things like that. It was really on, on its last legs. And it's been like that apparently for a while. The people there were so sad about their dog and the lady was in tears. It was very, you know, very heartwarming to see this whole thing and oh, devastating at the same time to see the poor dog like that. And obviously, with the vet being around and us nearly being home and Serga having done so well, we said, no problem, the vet can just stay behind. He'll just be 20 minutes or half an hour behind us so that he can just put this dog to sleep in a nice ethical way so that this dog can can stop suffering. And we would get on the road to, to, to bring Serga home so that she doesn't have to sit in this box any longer. All that seemed like a perfect plan. The vet stayed behind. We started driving and it went pretty well. We eventually got to the gate to our area. And from that gate, it's just like another seven or eight kilometers to where Serga's new sort of one hectare enclosure was that was going to be her, her new home now. We went through the gate, pretty excited that we basically had made it. It's just an awesome feeling, all this driving, and we're actually here. Then came a little bit of a shock because all, all of a sudden we turned around and Serga was not looking good at all. She started lying down, feeling very weak. I was shocked because I thought, how can all this happen for all these hours and this, all these kilometers? We have a vet driving right behind us so that if anything happens, we can get it sorted. And now for this last bit where we were so sure there's not going to be any issues, Serga starts getting weak. And obviously I was getting completely worried because there's no phone, there's absolutely nothing. So there was no way we could do anything. So all we did is we stopped under the next tree. We let Serga rest for a moment. I went in the back. I scratched a little bit through the 
you know, through the bars of this box that she was in. And I talked to her. She was still responding quite well. She was just very, very weak. And we just used water, the remaining water that we have left, to just pour it all over her and make her wet. Because at this time, it was actually getting morning. I think it was around nine o'clock now. And it was getting a bit warm. So maybe it was just overheating stress plus the warmth of the day can easily cause a body to get too hot. So we cooled Sugar down and luckily that worked perfectly. She sat up again and was absolutely fit. So we drove the next maybe 15 to 20 minutes through our own area to her to her place. And we parked her under a tree there, put her in the shade, calmed her down nicely, spoke to her a bit. And then obviously I went and checked her enclosure again, made sure everything is 100%, the fences are fine. Also that nothing went inside, that that one hectare area, the sort of like a soccer field size thing is absolutely ready for her. And at the same time, the vet had arrived. Everybody else that was behind us had gotten there now. And our wildlife department who had to be there to sign off this relocation also arrived on time. So everything actually worked out according to plan absolutely perfectly in the end which is sort of rare here to happen in Africa. So I was more than pleased with how all of this went. As a pretty cool little side note, I should probably mention that the wildlife department as well as the vet took a different road into the area. And if you want to call it road, because at that stage, there weren't actually really roads. We just had sort of tracks along the fence lines that were built and one dirt track that went into the center of the of the area where Sergas enclosure was and that dirt track is really just something where we had driven two or three times before with a vehicle so all you could do is see that we've driven there before but it was nothing else so it was a very wild and remote place but the people taking the different way along the fence line actually saw a wild line just about a kilometer and a half away from Sergas enclosure and it was a line that we later came to name Elvis because of his beautiful hair and he was sitting there with an eland that he had killed so that was pretty exciting news that there's a wild lion not far away. Yeah, it was just something that, that happened on the side. I was at that time way too much focused on Serga and just getting her out. Now that we had enough people up there, we did put long beams through the top of this box that was on the back that was Serga in, and we lifted the box off. We put the box onto Serga's door of the enclosure. We opened, and it took her a moment, but then she walked out relatively slowly. She was definitely tired from the whole experience, still a little bit drugged. She just walked straight through, had a bit of a sniff around and then went to lie down. She didn't take long to start exploring anything. She just lied in the shade and stayed there for a while, but everything looked perfect. Now at this stage, there was still a lot of people there. We had to finalize a bit of paperwork and I did not want to go in with Suga, which was also the vet's recommendation because he said that as long as the drugs are working on the animal, it may not be a smart idea to go in. Even humans that are on drugs may react very differently to from what we are used to when they're in normal sort of circumstances. So we just wanted to give Suga this moment to, to relax and, and arrive at her place and just have a look around. Yeah, that was pretty much how the move went. Sergei was now home. We were relieved. And after another 20 minutes, pretty much everybody had moved away. It was just us there. And the film people stayed behind with us for the first night just to be around and, and see how things go. I did go in with Sergei a little bit later on just to check on her. She was too tired to come to the gate or anything like that. She was just lying under a bush right in the middle, which was the bush that we intended for her to sleep under. So that had worked out nicely because previously we had gone in there and cleaned up all the 
the little, you know, thorns and branches and leaves that were underneath. So that place was nice and clean. And she was sleeping there in the shade. When I came, she did get up and said hello. She walked the last few meters towards me, rubbed her head. She was a bit too tired to actually give a proper hug, but she was still very affectionate. She looked very all right. I made sure that while I was inside there with her, we did walk to the water hole that's there to, to make sure that she knows where to drink. And we made it a little bit wet again so that Serga cools down nicely. And she seemed absolutely fine. There was no problems. Immediately after that, we started setting up the solar power because the next challenge now was to get our freezers going so that we could actually keep food for Serga again. Now, after having worked as much as we could on the solar power system, which wasn't quite done yet, but we had the frame standing and the, the, the panels were up. We just had to connect everything and things like that the next day. I decided to sit down with our film people and Sarah. We had a bit of dinner, just a little barbecue thing, which we call braai here by us. Yeah, so that was the evening. I had a few drinks to celebrate and enjoy the evening for a while. Sarah was very tired and went to bed. Now, I went to bed a bit later and saying we went to bed at this stage, I should probably mention that actually it was a very, very wild, wild place back then with nothing really there. The only thing we had was our caravan standing under a tree just near Serga's enclosure. We had sort of put the film people on the other side of the enclosure just so we can see what's happening if there's wild animals coming around if Serga is trying to get out because she's freaking out and there anything like that just to be a bit more safe so all we had to do is walk along the the fence line of this one hectare area and go to our place yeah that that was it there was no water even at the area at that stage the pipelines had been laid but the water hadn't arrived yet because pumping from 120 kilometers away it can take a hell of a long time for this water to arrive because there's airlocks in the pipe and so on so it took many months after we actually moved there that we got the water running so at this stage we only had what we had with us in the vehicles and that was it it was a very very basic area and and we just lived there also it was all new because Nobody had really been there before and we hadn't actually stayed there before at all. It was just now Serga moved there and we moved there with her. So what we noticed the next morning after getting out of the caravan is actually that the lion's tracks had been right along Sarah's tracks when she went home to the caravan. The male lion had been around the whole night. We obviously at a later stage in the morning started hearing him roaring and then we found his tracks all over and he has obviously been looking at Serga. At this stage, Serga had stayed completely hidden away in the center of her enclosure and actually she remained there for quite a few nights while this lion was around. It took about three months before Serga actually warmed up to him completely and, and then they started lying on each side of the fence, spending the nights almost together and they started rowing together, which is, yeah, I would say that's the moment when I can see Serga is actually comfortable with another lion because initially she's completely quiet. We know wild lions are coming around when Serga doesn't say anything. Usually she roars every evening and every morning and a little bit throughout the night. But when she is dead quiet, that means there's new lions around. She's probably listening to them and she just doesn't say a word until they come more often. She gets used to them and then she starts communicating. Or we know there's lions coming that Serga already knows because she starts talking to them, which is later on what happened with this first male lion that used to hang around called Elvis. He was an old, old lion and a very gentle, friendly lion. Luckily, as we found out later, because he was always around while we were living there. You must understand that even there was no bathrooms and things like that. So going to the bathroom means taking a shovel and walking off into the bush a little bit. And sometimes that has to happen at night and what whatnot. So with a lion around, luckily, we had a very friendly old male. He later on passed away just of old age. 
but he was Sergo's first admirer that used to come regularly. And we could often hear them. Sergo would start roaring and then we could hear our Elvis far in the distance somewhere. And throughout the night, you can hear these roars coming closer and closer as they're answering to each other. And eventually he'll show up and always had a bit to drink at our place where we had a little bird bath to feed the birds water during the day. The lion would come and drink from that. And then he would go and sit next to Sergo and the fence and entertain her for, for some time. And Sergo could really visibly, you know, enjoy this. You could see so much how she is just completely in her element. So many things happening. Lots of other animals were around like hyenas, leopards, but the lion was obviously the big thing for Sergo that entertained her the whole time. She really seemed to be happy that she's arrived in this new place. So yeah, we pretty much finished building the solar power the next day, which meant that the freezes and everything was now going to be running for Sergei. And in the meantime, she had needed food. And what I did is to go and organize her something smaller. Now, the whole thing of getting food for Sergei, I know that not a very nice thing to talk about, but obviously a lion eats meat. So I have to hunt to get that for her in the area. And there are very small antelope, which is basically just one meal. And if she gets that, it's a larger meal than what she would usually get. So every two days is then enough. So I got her one of those initially and normally we take what is the most plentiful because eventually after providing water in an area like that the herbivores become so much that we have to manage their population in a way which is something that the predators are doing naturally you know Serga is a predator that naturally at the moment or at this time had to sit in her enclosure so we have to then do what she would be doing otherwise outside in our area and our Hemsburg antelope are the most plentiful so that was going to be the next meal for Serga now after hunting a Hemsburg, obviously that is something she can't just eat in one day. It's supposed to last for the entire month, pretty much. So the animal will have to be cut into many pieces, which can be quite challenging, especially if you're alone. And at this stage, Sarah had to head back with the filming people because she was busy in Maun. And I was actually left alone after just the first two days there with Serga. Everybody had gone and I was just by myself on the farm with nobody else around, which personally I really enjoy. But what was one big challenge is to now get that first Remsbok. And yeah, it's a heavy antelope. Hunting is something that I don't enjoy doing at all, but it's something that is necessary. And I really try to do it as ethical and as good as possible. After doing that, the Remsbok has to be loaded onto the vehicle, which is very, very heavy. It's a few hundred kilos heavy and you know, if you're by yourself, you have to dig in the vehicle so that the vehicle back of the pickup basically becomes even with the sand and then slowly try and roll this big animal into the car. What I did later when I got back home is the same tree, which on the one side had the caravan standing underneath. On the other side, I made a mechanism with a few ropes where I could pull up this this dead antelope so that I could hang it and start skinning it and then cutting it all into nice pieces for the month so that Serga and also myself can have food there. Unfortunately, I did cut my hand quite badly on this exercise with the slow string, so I had to tape up my arm and, and then continue doing all of this. It was a hell of a long night to get all this finished. The meat then has to dry up a little bit and, and you know bleed out before it goes into the freezer, otherwise it'll never come out of the freezer again. So doing all of this by myself was a hell of a challenge, and when it was done, I was extremely exhausted. The heat at this time is also quite brutal because it is, so as say, close to the 40 degrees in the shade, and we don't have much shade 
and there is no clouds in the sky most of the time. It's just the sun burning down. So it was a rough time of the year to move. And yeah, but somehow everything worked out. It was a major adventure. We were now sitting here. Serga had moved to the new home. Our business was completely shut down. So we had to rebuild everything, make a new camp. And also at this stage, we didn't have an intention of trying to open up quickly again with some sort of a mobile camp because we figured since everything is shut down already, let's just take it very easy and start developing a nice guest camp that will in the end make our operation very much easier for us and also much more comfortable and nicer for the people who are coming to visit. So this was the scenario. We're sitting here, we started the fundraising because now Sylga was in her one hectare enclosure, but the fence lines were not finished yet. And it took us just over the next two years to raise all the money to finish building Sylga's fences. In the meantime, I used the time when we didn't have anything to do on the fences because we were waiting for funds to come through again to start the next sort of couple of kilometers. I used that time to drive a truck to bring all our materials and things from the old location back to the new location. We found one of our wonderful workers who is still around with us today called Robert. Robert stayed there and was Silga's caretaker for all the drives that I did by myself. And he's done an absolutely amazing job I actually got to take my head off for somebody who is just crazy enough to stay in this place alone, just like I did, because he had to sit there by himself, at least in the beginning. After the first time I left him alone, we did get a second guy for him because he did say it was getting a little bit too scary because the lion was around and he found a snake in his tent. Yeah, heads off to everybody who helped there in the beginning and who's still helping today because we're still in this remote area. We still have our lions around. Luckily today, Silga's area is actually finished. She is getting out into this new place quite often now at the moment all I do is take her for walks we have been on quite a few walks with her she's starting to get to know the area better and better she knows the water hole she knows a few places she hasn't actually often been at the fence lines yet because the area is so massive we can walk there for eight or nine hours without ever meeting a fence line so Silga is exploring her ter territory. And right now, as I'm sitting here in South Africa, we just got confirmation that the collar that we organized for Serga is actually finished. And I think as I'm speaking right now, it should be on the way, being shipped from Germany to Africa so that we can fit Serga with this satellite collar. It is actually a collar that is specifically designed for her now. It is the first time that this company has built a collar like that. It has a quick release mechanism so that we can put it on and off. The idea of that is that Initially now, Serga will just start wearing the collar. Previously for the filming of Saving Serga, she wore a collar with a GoPro camera on it, which is very similar to what she's going to be wearing now. So she is used to it. And yeah, this collar will arrive. Serga will start walking around outside with me with the collar. And we will start extending these walks a little bit and we will start seeing does she want to stay out a bit longer? Does she want to not go home? Eventually, as we can see that she's getting more and more comfortable and as we can see that the color is working properly and that we get all the updates of the locations while I'm out with her on the computer, we can then say, okay, maybe we will just leave the door open, at least initially in the daytime, see if Serga wants to go out, spend the day outside. And I'm pretty sure she will come home to get her usual dinner in the evening. So in the beginning, we might keep her home and locked up again at night and then As she gets more and more comfortable, we will start leaving the door open and leaving her outside overnight. The door will always be open for Silga, by the way. There's never going to be a moment where we're going to close it. My caravan and 
what has now sort of extended into a little home with office, workshop, and sort of things like that around it. That is right next to it, and that will never change either. So Sugar can always come home and get her dinner if she likes to. We will always make sure she gets a snack. As she goes outside and starts hunting by herself a lot more, we will obviously start decreasing her portions. It might come down to just a little bit of her baby milk just to keep her happy and have an opportunity to give her medicines that she might need. And I'm always going to be around for Sugar to be there. So nothing is changing between the relationship that I and Sugar have together the idea is simply that Serga can live like a wild lion in an area that is the size of a wild lion's territory with the difference that she is protected in this area, that nobody can get to her and that she can't get to anybody, which is the other side of this, that Serga cannot pose a threat to people. And tourists will be able to come and visit Serga simply on a game drive in her area where we will meet her. I do hope that I will be able to get out of the vehicle and Serga can come and give me a big hug and say hello to me. Even if she gets a lion friend, which is our intention, that Serga gets one of those lions that is always coming around at the moment, talking to her, saying hello to her and sleeping on the other side of her fence, that eventually we will be able to locate one of those lions back into her 2,000 hectare area so that they can live there together, that Serga can have the companionship that a normal lion will have. Now, that still means that I will be around for her. And even then, if that line is not used to people like Serga, as Serga can still come up near the vehicle, I will still be able to greet Serga and say hello to her. But she can play and enjoy her life with another line just as she wishes to do so. And if Serga wishes in the end to not say hello to me and just live her life in that area with a line, then she's very welcome to do that. And we will be there to look after her nevertheless. And if she gets old and she needs some medicine, we will be there for Serga. If she needs a vet and she gets sick, we will be there for Serga. But that is simply what we want her to have is that wildlife where she can live free and make all the choices that she wants without being locked up by us in a certain scenario, which may not be bad for her. She's always been a happy line, but she absolutely loves being outside. I think at this stage, maybe I can do a little bit of advertising again for ourselves. We have a Patreon page specifically now with the business that I mentioned that is completely shut down. We were actually planning to open the business in June of this year, which due to the pandemic obviously completely failed. So we have now half a year already of no income that we had planned with which has set us back quite drastically. Luckily, we have found a few amazing people that have been supporting us along the way, which actually is the only reason we can continue at this stage. And in the meantime, we have started a Patreon page, patreon.com slash And on that page, we are posting a lot more updates, details about the life that I have there with Sarah. By the way, if I haven't mentioned that, Sarah is my girlfriend, which is quite an amazing girl who is actually living out there in the middle of the bush, although she grew up in a city and was pretty good at her city life and enjoyed it a lot. But somehow she got to enjoy the life in the middle of the desert even more. She is there as I'm sitting here in South Africa recording this podcast. So she's become a very vital part of Serga's life, of my life and of everything we do out there. Both of us together are running this Patreon page where we post updates about our life, all the other animals around us, the wildlife, but obviously a lot of updates about Serga and how she's doing Sarah is actually very talented with making beautiful videos. She has made a fantastic video, which is about 10 minutes long, about Serga's walks and her behavior and everything she's doing in this new reserve. Our Patreon page is a sign-up page where you can 
become part for a monthly contribution of your choosing. It is more or less a donation that you can choose. For that, you can log in, see all the updates, write us messages, ask questions, and just get a little bit more involved with the whole life that we're having in a way as a replacement for the people who would maybe want to come visit we're trying to run this as a virtual type of having a safari where you can join our life for some time, hopefully until things get back to normal and we can receive guests at the camp, we can keep this page going. And even afterwards, just to have a little family created around our life and give us a financial opportunity to survive in these hard times. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I think... Since I'm sitting here in South Africa waiting for our paperwork for the airplane to come through, the next podcast I would like to get a little bit into how I got into the whole flying thing, which is also an adventure, pretty much the African way, I think. Today I'm actually a certified private pilot and legal to fly around, but when I started flying it was also legal, but I flew a license-free motorized paraglider and I completely taught flying to myself and that thing using YouTube and other pages on the internet for it. So I think the next podcast is simply going to be about a little bit the flying that we do, why we do flying in the bush, what it does for wildlife conservation and our lives here and how I got into it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Kalahari Diaries. Did you enjoy the podcast? fantastic. You can help me tremendously by subscribing and rating it on your podcast app. Leave a review and tell friends and family about it if you feel like it. If you want to know more about this story, go ahead and check out the website on sergeythelioness.com or follow me on social media. You'll find me on Instagram and Facebook at Valgrüner, that is at V-A-L-G-R-U-E-N-E-R, and at Modisa Wildlife Project, where I'm sharing photos and videos from the Kalahari on a regular basis. I'm Val and you've been listening to the Kalahari Diaries.